0: Good morning Hope, welcome to worship, Uh, those of you here in West Des Moines and those watching at our other campuses around Central Iowa, a very warm welcome to all of you. Thanks for uh, coming out to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation today. Whether you know that you came out to do that or not, that's part of what we're going to do here today. So uh, yeah, you look really good at 500, you don't look a day over 30, Yeah, you look absolutely great. Uh, That clip really leads to a question. That clip from the critically acclaimed and award-winning TV series called The Crown, which my wife started watching and then she got me to watch it um, because I married up. And when we sat down to watch it together, I'm not embarrassed to say I got completely hooked. Nothing blows up, which is my usual kind of genre of movies that I would prefer to watch. There's no slapsticky comedy, which would be my second favorite kind of movie to watch. It's just historical drama based on real life situations and it traces the life of Queen Elizabeth. And there you see Queen Elizabeth as a 12 year old girl speaking to her father, King George on the day of his coronation in 1937. It wouldn't be just 15 years later that Elizabeth herself would be presented with the same kind of day where she would be coronated as the Queen of the United Kingdom. Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, and on and on and on. She, uh, she inherited the throne because she was the heir apparent to King George, and it was a lot sooner than she thought. She was only 27 years old when she inherited it. And so in this particular episode of season one of The Crown, uh, she is looking back and remembering a defining moment, a holy moment, if you will. Holy means God sets it apart. It's the difference between baptism, which literally just means a washing or uh, an immersion, and a holy baptism, a washing that God sets apart. It's the difference between communion, just bread and wine, a small little meal, and a holy communion, God sets it apart. It's the difference between just coming to worship and going through the motions of it or praying and going through the motions of it or reading the Bible and going through the motions of it or living out your faith and going through the motions of it or actually letting it be what it is, holy. God sets it apart. God sets those moments apart and they become defining moments for us. And I think as a good father would, George isn't just rehearsing because he wants to rehearse the anointing portion of the coronation that he'll experience later that day. I think he's also doing it to provide a gentle teaching moment for his daughter because he knows someday this will be her. Someday she'll be the one who's anointed as queen. And he wanted her to understand the weight and the magnitude of the moment. A part part of the coronation, which is really a Christian worship service. It's done in a church. It's presided over by the archbishop of the Church of England, the Anglican Church. And it's all about putting God's blessings upon the person who's ascending to the throne and wearing the crown. George never thought he'd be king. His brother abdicated the throne because he fell in love with a divorced woman from the United States, and that didn't play uh, so well back in that time and in that generation in England, and so he abdicated the throne, and suddenly George, who was also famously depicted in the Oscar-winning movie, The King's Speech, that's him in this series, and he struggles with his speech impediment, breaks through it, and says, well, this is the call on my life. I have been anointed for this. I've been chosen for this. And so George wants to impress on his daughter, knowing that someday this will be her, she'll be the one who'll be coronated as queen, how important the anointing is, how, how, how heavy the weight is, how you know heavy is the head that wears the crown, according to Shakespeare, how significant the moment is, and, and how deep it is. I'm not here today, though, to give you a history lesson on the British monarchy. I share that with you and show you that clip because I want you to get a sense for the weight and the magnitude of what God is offering for you and for me here today. So here's my opening question for you. When's the last time you had a holy moment in your life? A moment that's set apart by God, that transcends time, That you were somebody else before that moment happened, and then after that moment happened, you could never be the same again. And this does not mean that you go from being a, a complete heathen to somebody who's a perfect moral saint. That doesn't happen this side of heaven. But there is a transformation that happens to people. People go from lost to found, from dead to alive, from addicted to free and in recovery from that addictive behavior. People change. And there are thousands of people in this church community who could testify to this. There is a transformation. There is a change. And somewhere along the way, there's that moment that marked that change. It might have been a slow cook over a series of days or months or weeks or years, but a lot of times there's that moment, that holy moment. Have you ever had one? Have you ever had a moment where you sensed, The weight and the magnitude, like an anointing of a king or a queen of the United Kingdom, where you're anointed as the new sovereign of that kingdom. The person who's going to run the government, who's going to oversee the the, the whole space. With all due respect to the significance and the weight of somebody ascending to the throne of the United Kingdom, and that's weighty, it's obviously a, a huge burden and responsibility. And this series does a good job of depicting that and all the leadership challenges that Elizabeth has as a 27-year-old woman who ascends to this throne in that particular time and place and how she wisely navigates her way through all sorts of different uh, tumultuous and potentially uh, 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 potential situations that could have blown up in her face. But in that scene that you just saw, she experiences the love of a gentle father who says the anointing is the most important part. Did you hear the part where he says, if you don't anoint me, I can't be king. Which is kind of interesting because he's already king. He's already the king of the United Kingdom at this point, as Elizabeth will be the queen for several months, if not over a year, before she actually has her coronation. That's the way it works. You already are what you are, but then you have this holy moment to mark it. A couple of nights ago here in this church building, two of our staff on our worship production staff here at Hope, uh, Eric and Caitlin, got married. And that's a great story because they met and fell in love here on staff. I mean, it happens. It's crazy, right? Love is in the air. What's really fun about this story is that Eric, when he first got hired, first of all, he looked like he was eight years old. Yeah, he's just this young, happy, good, great guy. Everybody loves Eric. And Eric has been on our staff for a long time. And he's, he's, uh, he would show up, and he's incredibly good at his job, but he'd show up and he always wore a hat, kind of a grubby hat. It was sort of his look. And he would always wear clothes that didn't quite go, and he would just sort of show up, and that was Eric. Suddenly, and I'm not talking over a long period of time, I'm saying in one day. That completely changed. And it was the day we hired (laughs) Caitlin. Suddenly, Eric's wearing product in his hair. (laughs) And he's not wearing hats. And his clothes look good. I mean, he's got fashion tips for the rest of us. And he's showing us kind of how to do it. Because he's courting this woman, this young woman. He's wooing her. he's, He's winning her love. Well done, young man, well done. Well, they've been in love for quite a while now. But they didn't mark it with the wedding until this last Friday night. As Pastor Jeremy presided over the wedding and said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That was the holy moment, right? That was the moment. It's, it's not like at that moment they fell in love. No, that was the moment that marked the love that they already shared and had with each other. Where they pu- That's what a wedding is. You're publicly declaring to the rest of the world, we are it for each other. We're a couple. We're faithful to each other. What God has joined together, let nobody get in between us. This, and that's the way the church and the community and the world around it should see it. This is a marriage, and, and so we support that and we lift that up and we encourage that. That's what happens at a coronation of a king or a queen. They're already the king or the queen. But the coronation is like the wedding that marks it, that says, This is where it happens. And the archbishop takes the anointing oil and places it on the hands of King George in this case and Queen Elizabeth 15 years later in 1952 when she becomes queen, but doesn't just carelessly slop some oil on the hands and then on the breastbone representing the heart and then on the forehead representing the mind, hands, heart, and mind. But each time it's very carefully... Drawn as a cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything to do with the coronation of a king or queen in the United Kingdom is Christ centered. It all has to do with Scripture. That's where this whole anointing language comes from. That King George says to his daughter Elizabeth, because he loves her, this is the most important part. So important that when the BBC broadcast Queen Elizabeth's coronation live for the whole world to see back in 1952, they had to shut the cameras off for the anointing. You can check me out on this. You can Google this, hopefully not during the sermon, but when you go home. You can watch the rest of the entire coronation on YouTube. Why you'd want to, I don't know, but you could watch the whole thing. Do you know the part you can't see because it doesn't exist? The anointing. As you get to that part, you hear the narrator say, and now the anointing, and now the anointing. And then it just breaks forward 10 or 15 minutes, and they move on to the next thing. Too sacred, too heavy, too big, bigger than us to be filmed and broadcast on TV. When's the last time you had a holy moment with God like that? Where your understanding of God wasn't just calculated and thought about and considered in your mind, but it was something you felt in your heart. An experience of God. Where does this anointing language come from? It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, among other places. Let's read this together. At all, all the campuses that are watching right now, or even if you're watching online, or you're at a hockey tournament. Your whole hockey team is watching right now down in Dallas. I know you're watching. Let's watch this together. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed at that moment, you're marked with this seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. With all due respect to what's happened to Queen Elizabeth or King George or anybody else who's coronated and crowned as a king, what you can receive here today in God's house is more. We're talking about the one who is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords offering you the gift of his kingdom. What do the scriptures say? Have no fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom of God is yours. The door has been broken open through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus didn't, di- didn't do that for us, we're not getting in. There is no hope for us to get into God's kingdom apart from the sacrifice of Jesus' death and his resurrection. When's the last time that wasn't just religious language that bounced around the walls of a church building for you, and you actually opened your heart and soaked in that for a while? And you allowed it to be what it is with all of its weight, with all of its majesty and its holiness, with all of its significance. When's the last time you allowed God to be who God is? I'm not talking about creating, uh, imagining something that isn't. I'm talking about putting your faith in the foundation of God's Word and the promises that come to us through His living Word that say, this is what happens when you come to faith. You get marked with a seal. Here's the Greek word for seal in the New Testament of Ephesians 1. It's esphragistete. And it connects us to the fact that kings and queens, back in the time, uh, in biblical times, had signet rings. And they would uh, uh, declare something, a, a, a royal decree, and put it on, on a scroll, it would be recorded, and then there'd be wax that would seal it, and the king or the queen, taking the symbol of the kingdom that was on his or her signet ring, would impress the seal of the kingdom on the wax. And the only one who had access to this ring was the king or the queen. It's not like there were replicas all over that people could wear. Only the king or the queen had this, it was the signature of the sovereign of that kingdom to say this comes from the highest level of government authority. This comes from the queen or from the king. This is my signature, this is my seal that I put, that's all implied here in this Greek word. This is my seal that I put and I press upon this decree, this word. What the scriptures point us to in all this is that the seal of God is impressed on us when we come to faith. You say, oh, that's never happened to me. It probably has. If you've been baptized, it has. And if you haven't been baptized, you can be baptized even if you're a little baby, when that child was baptized, those of you who were baptized as infants, when you were baptized, whether it was Lutheran or Methodist or Presbyterian or Roman Catholic or any denomination, there were words to this effect in every denomination that were said over you. Child of God, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. As the pastor or presider puts the sign of the cross, on your forehead. You probably missed it if you were a baby. I was two and a half weeks old when the pastor said that over me. I don't remember it. And so we have this wonderful tradition in the Lutheran church called confirmation, which is part of what we're going to do here today. Confirmation and tradition looked like this several generations ago. A couple generations ago, it looked like this. People would dress up in robes, put on flowers. A few years ago, it looked like this right here at Lutheran Church of Hope. This is one of our boys groups that got confirmed, including our campus minister in Ames, because I like to embarrass him whenever I can. And uh, I won't tell you which one, but it might be over in this section here. And there's the leader, Chris, of that group, and Mark Brandt, our online minister who's hosting our service right now for our online audience. Used to be our youth director the flowers are nice the robes are nice the dressing up is nice the whole thing is nice but I'm here to tell you today that confirmation is more than flowers and robes and inviting the family over and having a meal and opening up some gifts that's all good all that stuff is good but I hope you didn't miss the point I hope you didn't miss the moment the holy moment and if you did you can recapture it today because in confirmation, we are called to do something over and over and over again. Confirmation, simply put, is saying yes to God for saying yes to us in the waters of baptism. A lot of you are baptized as adults, and that we do that here too in the Lutheran Church. We don't just baptize babies, we baptize adults and babies and everything in between because we choose to err on the side of grace, if there is an error to be made there at all. We don't see anything in the Bible that restricts children from coming to the waters of baptism so we don't create those. Did a whole sermon on that uh, several weeks ago. Not going to go there again today. But the rhythm of Lutheran baptism for the last 500 years on this 500th anniversary weekend of the Reformation is that a child, a little baby is baptized on the faith of a parent or parents, sponsor or sponsors and or the whole congregation that's gathered there. So there is faith it's just not a faith that that little baby, that little child can say, you know, at two and a half weeks old, I believe. That'd be a little weird. But it's the faith of the parents to say, we are going to teach, we promise, you make a baptismal promise, we will, as parents and sponsors in a church, teach the faith to this child. We will point them to the services of God's house. We'll bring them to church. We'll, we'll, we'll show up. We'll, we'll come to Sunday school and Bible school and confirmation, and then... After three years of careful instruction and confirmation in this church and Lutheran churches for 500 years, two or three years, depending on the tradition, they will be instructed to come to the point where they can say, I believe. In eighth grade, macho, puberty voices, I believe, you know, that's what they'll say. That's the point of confirmation. You and I are saying yes to God for having said yes to us in the waters of baptism once upon a time. We are affirming, confirming, if you will, The faith into which we were baptized, that our parents spoke for on our behalf once upon a time, now we're claiming as our own. It's a coronation, really. It's us claiming who we are, whose we are, and the power of God's transforming love for us. Right now, in the Lutheran tradition, on this day when we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we have much to celebrate. Here's Luther uh, nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. I should clarify, that's not actually him. That's an artist's depiction of him doing that. Nobody was there to actually take the picture. But we, say, we hear he did. Here's the catechism he wrote. Here's the little um, figurine in Europe. There are these little figurines in Europe, uh, I'm drawing a blank on what they're called, but they're all the rage. They're like the number one toy. They're, they're, they're just like wildfire and have been like this for decades. And if you've lived any time in Europe, you've probably seen them. This is the Martin Luther little three-inch figurine, and as of this week, it became the number one best-selling figurine in the history of this toy-making company. Oh, Luther's a way bigger deal than you think. And, you're a way b- and if you want to see a, a better version of this than just a picture on a screen, Pastor Richard actually has one in his office, because he's just worldly like that. It's right next to his, <laughs> I'm not making this up, his Jesus Christ action figure. And every day during lunch, you can walk by his office and he's playing with them and having, acting out little skits. Okay, I lied about the last part, but everything else was true. Here's the inside of the door of the Wittenberg church where Luther started this reformation. You know, we always talk about the outside door, but what happens inside is pretty important too. This is a news story from the NPR website this last week. They're having massive parties and celebrations all throughout Europe, all week long and they're filling God's house as they should. Luther liked that because he didn't want people to follow him or worship him and we don't. He wanted us to worship and follow the one that he pointed us to. If the Reformation was about anything, it was about tearing down walls of access, about translating the Bible into a language that people actually knew and read and could understand and could read to other people who were illiterate so they'd know what God's word said, access to God. The walls come down. Because there's this Creator who loves us and then there's us as the the human race, the highlight of His creation according to Scripture. But who knew? Who knew about God's grace? Who knew about God's promises? Who knew about an anointing? Who knew about being sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever? Who knew about this good news? Well, nobody unless the professional clergy told them and they didn't have any motivation to do it. So... Along comes Luther, and he speaks truth to power. And the end result is freedom. I mean, he changed the way we do education. Our schools today are hugely in debt to the way we do schools today, are hugely in debt to Luther. The way we do governments, the way we, the way we understand music, the way we, uh, 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 the way we do church, obviously, has changed. Luther knocked down these walls by speaking truth to power, saying there's something more powerful than an elite group of people saying, this is how it's going to be, and that's the truth. The truth of God's word needs to get out. And when Luther did that, it started a whole reformation that changed the world. It changed the world. And it can continue to change us today. When's the last time you had a holy moment? There are two things you can do with holy baptism, holy communion, worship, prayer. You can go through the motions. And you can say, yep, this is just what we do. Let's keep things moving. Let's go. We'll we'll check it off our list of things to do on a Sunday morning. Or you can step back, open up your heart and mind, and breathe in the weight and the magnitude of what God is doing here every time we show up in his house and what he has available for us here. An outpouring of his love reminding us of who we are, whose we are, and the power of God's transforming love for us. Poured out through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. There's a story that's told in John chapter 3, which is a very famous chapter of the Bible. You know one of the verses. Even if you're just checking out Christianity, you've heard John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Again, you can go through the motions of that and say, yeah, I memorized that verse. I got that verse down. The, verse, the translation you just did, Pastor, is a little different than the one maybe I learned. And so then we focus on all that instead of stepping back and breathing in the weight of that good news. There's a God who loves you and the whole world and gave his son for you to die for you and for me. So that if we just believe in him, we aren't going to die. But we're going to have everlasting life. The death that we experience in this world isn't a dead end. It's not a sunset, it's a sunrise into a new day. When's the last time you appreciated that for what it is? Instead of just, oh yeah, that's, that's what we, that's what we Christians say. That's that verse we memorize. That's that part of the Bible we look at. This is the sermon we listen to. This is the worship service we go to. These are the things we do when we're here. Great. Good habits. Is your heart open to what's really going on here? To the God who invited you into his house? Who wants to have an encounter with you? Who wants to anoint you? Not to become something you're not, but just to remind you who you are. You are a child of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. When's the last time you confirmed that? I mean, for real. Not just as a philosophy, a way of thinking about God, but an experience of your life. The way you live your life is grounded and directed because of this truth. Because of this gospel. That's what the Reformation is all about. And so I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And please think about this with me just for a moment. We, or anybody else on planet Earth, will never have another opportunity to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. How blessed we are to be alive in this moment. I mean, it's a big deal. This reformation changed things. Jesus got into this conversation with Nicodemus, who was an educated religious leader, a Pharisee, and he snuck out to Jesus in the cover of darkness, and he said, Jesus, we know you must be sent from God because nobody could do these things that you're doing if you weren't from God. Now that wasn't the status quo official statement of the Pharisees who were officially against Jesus, but it does tell you there was some rebellion within the ranks. There were some Pharisees who saw the light and wanted more of it because they didn't want to just keep going through the motions of religion and showing up for church and saying, this is what we do and these are the verses we memorize and this is the stuff that we go through and these are our rituals. They wanted what Jesus was bringing They wanted to be born again. And that's what Jesus said to him. Before he gets to this verse, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again or you can't experience the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, "Ah, how can I get born again? Nicodemus is thinking on a physical, earthly level. I mean, it's obviously where most of us would start. Don't be too hard on him. It's like, do I climb back in my mother's womb and then get born out (laughs) What kind of religion are you cooking here, Jesus? That's just gross. (laughs) Jesus says, no. And he kicks the conversation up about 77 notches in a moment. No beating around the bush, Nicodemus. I'm telling you, unless you're born of water and the spirit, you will not experience the kingdom of God. Next verse, he says, humans can reproduce only human life, But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. You must be born again. This is where it comes from. A few verses later, it'll say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But here, leading up to that part of the conversation, Jesus says this, you must be born again. Now, be very careful with that. Some of you have been beat up because that phrase gets used and abused by a certain group of Christians in this country, and they've done it for generations. They look at you and make a little too much eye contact, you know what I'm talking about? And you tell them you're a Christian, they say, yeah, but are you born again? Like there's a super secret class of Christians who are born again Christians, and then there's all the rest of you who just say you believe, which is a gross misinterpretation of this text, which is where the language comes from, of being born again. If you know the original Greek of this text, you know that it literally means to be born from above when you come to faith. It automatically happens. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you are anointed, when you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. In other words, when God becomes real for you, you're born again. You get a whole new life. When's the last time you had a holy moment like that? You say, well, that's like a one-time deal then, right? It's got to be this major, massive conversion experience. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's that moment when you believe. It's that moment that God sets apart for you where you could never be the same again. You were walking in the darkness, and now you're walking in the light. And you're moving and living in God's grace. Notice I didn't say you're moving and living in moral perfection. You become religiously elite. You become better than everybody else around you. That's not what the Bible says. So on this Reformation anniversary, let's, let's make sure we're being true to God's Word on this very most important topic. It means you're living in grace. It means you're still a fallen, sinful human being, but you're redeemed. You're different now. You've gone from what was to what is. And there's a transition point, and there's a moment or a series of moments, that's born again. You get a whole new life. You realize that sin and that shame and the guilt that I used to carry, gone, erased. The, the fear I had of dying, uh, uh, facing an eternity uh, apart from God and his kingdom, gone. I know that I know that I know that I'm saved for eternal life not because of me and my moral goodness, but because of Jesus Christ and because of what he's done for me on the cross. By his death, he crucifies my sin. And by his resurrection, he raises me up to a new and an everlasting life. When's the last time you experienced that for what it is and breathe it in. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, to new life. Next verse, verse seven. Nicodemus, don't be surprised then when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. And I'm here to tell you today, Lutheran Church of Hope, it's getting mighty windy in here these days. I mean, God is on the move. The Holy... Last night at our Saturday night service, we invited people to come up after the, after the sermon to pray and to get anointed with oil, which is what the Bible tells us to do. And I was like, okay, Lord, this is a Lutheran church. Just send four people. And I can't tell because I got real busy real fast. But whenever I looked up, I saw a line that went all the way back to the doors. And then at the traditional, hold on, at the traditional service this morning, the traditional liturgical service this morning where you have some of the most salt of the earth people on the face of the earth showing up every Sunday and don't underestimate that, their hearts are wide open. They got in line to be anointed with oil today. <laughs> My goodness! Now you can clap and praise God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the first time I ever jumped in a sermon, <laughs> and it will probably be the last. But it's getting windy in here. You see, have it. Okay, so we're marked in baptism. We confirm it either in eighth grade or whenever, and we can do it again and again and again. Get born again and again and again. Right. That's what the Bible says. But what's with this anointing oil stuff? That doesn't sound very Lutheran. Let me teach you something. Some of you have been around for more than three months. already know this. If you're new, I wanna teach this to you. If it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. Let's say that all together at all the campuses. If it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. Say it again, if it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. Some of you don't care if it's Lutheran because you don't think of yourself as Lutheran and that's fine too, but some of you do. You're like, I don't think we can do the oil thing, can we? Because I grew up in a Lutheran church and nobody ever mentioned oil. (laughs) They should've, because it's all over the Bible. Doesn't, you're gonna have a hard time reading through the Bible. As you read through it, if you've read through it, you know this, without encountering story after story after story, verse after verse after verse, that talks about getting anointed with holy oil. Psalm 23, have you heard of it? (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Do you remember a few verses later? You honor me by, let's read it all together, all campuses. Anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. When's the last time? Your cup overflowed with blessings. Not just, yeah, I memorized that. I've got that psalm down cold. Yeah, but are you experiencing it? Are you living it out? Is it your reality? Because it's here for you today. As it is every time you walk into God's house. This is one of ten that I'm gonna highlight. There are dozens. Let's hit them quick. Next Psalm, Psalm 92. You Lord have made me as strong as a wild ox, you've anointed me with the finest oil. Psalm 133. Harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Perry Ross's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border. Oh, sorry, Aaron's head that on the border of his robe. It overflows. It's an abundance of God's love being poured out for you. That's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. To be sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ. To be sealed by the Spirit means to know that you know that God loves you. There is a God and He loves you. And it's not just, yes, I agree. It's your experience. It's what you actually feel in the moment. When's the last time you had a holy moment like that? Because it's here for you. Not because I say so, because God's Word promises This is what children of God get to experience. Not just someday when they die and get to heaven. Right now in this fallen, messed up world. My anointing oil for you. Next verse. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil, which implies it's not a one-time thing. We do it over and over again. Next verse, uh, from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus got up in Luke chapter 4 and was the Bible reader in the synagogue that day in Nazareth. And after he read this prophecy from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, he's anointed me to proclaim good news. A prophecy that was hundreds of years old. Jesus rolled up the scroll, put it back, looked out at the congregation and said, today in your presence this prophecy has been fulfilled, and I'm it. Well, that was bold. Either totally crazy, or he's God. And he's declaring it. He's proclaiming it for everybody to hear. This prophecy has been fulfilled because I'm the one who's been anointed to go to the cross, Jesus says, to be the savior of the world. I'm the one, Jesus says, who will provide the better way, the deeper truth, and the more abundant life for you. Come and follow me. Anointed, Jesus was. Next verse. Mark 6 talks about using anointing oil to heal. James chapter 5 does the same thing. Next verse. Uh, In 1 Samuel, a king is anointed, King David. Samuel took the flask and poured it over David's head. Jehu the king is anointed in 2 Kings 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read this last one together. God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts, guaranteeing what is to come. It's getting oily in here too, not just windy. God is pouring out his spirit for you as we confirm our faith. When's the last time you experienced a holy moment? where you knew that you knew that God loved you. There is a God and He loves you. Not about becoming something you aren't, but about simply realizing who you were created to be. Who you already are. Claiming it. The promises of God and saying, this is who I am. And the anointing oil, is a, it's not magic. It's not oil in and of itself is going to do this any more than the water of baptism or the bread and the wine of communion or, or super special prayers are going to do anything or handkerchiefs are going to do anything. It's the promise of God. It's God's Word who says, this is what I do for children of God. I, I pour out the oil so their cup runneth over. I give them a blessing. Have you ever? Have you ever experienced a blessing like that? That's how we're going to wrap up the service now. To give you an opportunity to confirm your faith and to do what confirmation is supposed to be. Which is more than dressing up in robes and putting flowers on and going through some traditions. It's supposed to be us declaring this is what we believe. And when we come to faith, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, and when you declare it, well, that's, where new life begins. Romans 10, verse 9, if I have three favorite verses, this is in the top three. Because it summarizes this gospel, the good news. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, which I'm going to invite you to do here by confirming your faith publicly, it's like a wedding between you and God. You're saying this is who I am, this is whose I am, and this is the power of God's transforming love poured out for me. If you declare that, that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Notice the period. It's not you will be saved, dot, dot, dot. Plus, you've got to do all these other things. You've got to get baptized a certain way with a certain amount of volume of water. You've got to understand. You've got to have the right theology. You've got to have the right doctrine. You've got to have the right understanding you got to do spiritual disciplines in a certain way. you got to live them out a certain way. You have to live a sanctified life a certain way. You have to speak in tongues a certain way. You have to have a conversion experience in a certain way. You have to do all these things. All the junk that people tell you. Romans 10, 9 says, here's what you need to do to get saved. Publicly proclaim it. Make your vow the way a groom does for his bride and a bride does for his groom. This is what I believe. I am your child, you are my God. Your salvation is for me, and I claim it as my own. I confirm it. This faith into which I was baptized, perhaps for a lot of you, once upon a time as a little baby, you don't even remember it, you now confirm and make your own. I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation than to realize that the boundaries and the barriers come down between our Creator and us. A God who loves us and wants us to experience it now. This side of heaven. To get a glimpse of his kingdom. As we prepare for this, I want you to watch one more scene. Brilliantly and beautifully put together scene. Of the anointing of Queen Elizabeth. Remember I said earlier, the BBC, which was covering the whole coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1952, when she's 27 years old. 27 years old given the weight of this responsibility. Well, the BBC couldn't broadcast it. It's too holy, it's too heavy, it's too sacred. This is not for the public airwaves. So there were just a few eyewitnesses who were in the room. And the people who made this TV series interviewed those who were still alive and asked them, what did Queen Elizabeth look like? What was the expression on her face? What did the archbishop do? How did it go? And they put it together and put together this scene. As you watch this, I want you to pay particular attention to the inspiration in the room. (laughs) The weight of the moment is so heavy, the archbishop can barely get the words out sometimes. I know how he feels. And at the same time, Elizabeth being anointed as queen is answering the call with strength and inspiration, and you can see it in her eyes. You can see it in the way she responds. She was made for this, whether she wants it or not. She was made to be this, and so she accepts it as her call, her anointing. She's been chosen. That's what anointing means. Look at the strength in her eyes and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then as you watch that, consider this. What God is offering you and me here today at the end of this service, it's way heavier. It's way bigger. It's way more significant. It lasts forever. It never ends. We're not talking about an earthly reign on a throne of a kingdom, a government. We're talking about the kingdom of God, of which there is no end, and it is your Father's good pleasure to give it to you. Receive it. Confirm it. Be anointed. When's the last time you had a holy moment? She was inspired to rise to the anointing moment, to receive it, because she knew that this is what she was called to be and to do you're called for even more. To live out your life as a child of God. So I invite you now to stand, if you're able, at all of our campuses and let's confirm our faith in a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I ask you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, to reject sin and confess the faith of the church. These questions, which are a part of the traditional confirmation service in all denominations. Do you renounce the devil and all the forces of evil? I renounce them. Do you renounce the powers of this world that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God? I renounce them. Do you believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, you've made public profession of your faith, do you intend to continue in the covenant God made with you in holy baptism? To live among God's faithful people? To hear the word of God? To proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed? To serve all people? Following the example of Jesus and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth? I do. And I ask God to help and guide me. Father in heaven, for Jesus' sake, stir up in all who stand before you now in faith, With the gift of your Holy Spirit. Confirm their faith. Guide their lives. Empower them in their serving. Give them patience and suffering. And bring them to everlasting life. And all God's people said? You've confirmed your faith. Here at the West Des Moines campus, we have these confirmation crosses we give out. And you can grab one of these on the way out too. Just to mark it. There's two ways you can do this. You can go through the motions. Or you can breathe in what God has for you here today. As we wrap up the service at all of our campuses, we're gonna sing a song, but as we do, I invite you to come forward at all the campuses. Campus pastors and pastors and church leaders here in West Des Moines are standing up front. I'll be going over there too. and Come forward and receive an anointing. The mark of the cross, confirming your faith. The promises of God that were spoken over you in the waters of baptism. You, child of God, are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. It's in the Bible, it's Lutheran, and it's all over the Bible. Come and celebrate and experience God's love and be reminded of who you are, whose you are, and the power of God's transforming love. It's here in this room. The Holy Spirit is thick.